Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we start the message. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This past week, if you don't know what happened, you are in the minority. This is how big this movie was. This movie was 10 years in the making. And of course, I am talking about Infinity War, which is a comic book movie turned into a movie. And so a bunch of us, I think, on Thursday went to see it on opening night. And on Saturday morning, after prayer, I have to admit, I think a good 20 minutes of our conversation after was talking about this movie. And I'm, I don't want to ruin anything for you. Uh, if you. If you haven't watched it, it, it is a good movie. Uh, it's 10 years in the making. But I read this one review that said, this movie, there is nothing like it. There has never been anything like it, and there never will be because it was 10 years in the making. No movie was like that. Even if you are a big and huge Star Wars fan, um, they made Star Wars, and because Star Wars was so popular, people wanted to hear about Luke Skywalker. I want a Skywalker trilogy. So they continued to make movies because people loved Skywalker. But this wasn't that. 
this was in the beginning they wanted to make and culminate. So this movie is like the pinnacle of what they were making towards. So some people were happy about it. Some people were sad. Some people were disappointed. Some people said this is amazing. So whatever the case is, people have said this movie, there was nothing like it in the past. And there hasn't been. But this reviewer went on further to say there will, nothing, there will be nothing like it in the future. And um, the reasoning was because no one wants to take 10 years to make a movie. No one wants to write all these movies leading up to this movie. And there's just so much at stake, so much invested. And I was thinking about that. Maybe not a movie. But then I was able to really, really appreciate what we are going through now in Exodus. When we went through Genesis. And when we go through the Bible. God's story wasn't 10 years in the making. In fact, he reminds us through the word that He has been planning this from the very beginning. How incredible is that story that we're a part of? How incredible is it that we can appreciate something 10 years in the making, but what about something that was in the making and still being written from the beginning of time? And we are here in this story In the middle of Exodus, and even in the middle of Exodus, just in chapter 1, we saw that this completely applies to us. We see the truths that God is bringing forth really applicable to every part of our current lives, but also in history. And we ended chapter 1 with this horrific decree that Pharaoh made to kill all the baby boys from the Hebrew line. And to throw them into the Nile. But this didn't happen all of a sudden. You know, when despots or people come into power, they don't just all of a sudden go, let's kill all the Jewish people. And just to remind you what we talked about, it starts off with these Jewish people are taking up all our German money, so we need to boycott these stores. You know what? You shouldn't buy from them. I'm going to stand policemen by these stores, by these bakeries, by whatever they're holding. And they're just going to stay there just to make sure that everything's okay. But it was an intimidation factor so that you wouldn't go buy. So if you wanted to buy bread from a Jewish bakery, it had to be something that you did on purpose. Knowing that everybody's going to look at you. Knowing that the police is going to write down your name. Knowing that you are putting something at risk. It reminds us that you don't boil a frog by just throwing a frog into boiling water. I think we all know this illustration. When I was a kid, I was like, oh my goodness, mind blown. You put a frog into lukewarm water and then you turn on the heat on low and then you continue to increase that heat and the frog just thinks it's just a little warm until it's too late and it becomes French food. But we got to think about this, and you think about it, and we realize that even today, there are things that we have dubbed, and now we categorize as Stockholm Syndrome. We have things that we recognize that, oh my goodness, yeah, we can point fingers. It's like, how could the German people do this? How can people in Rwanda just put up with this? How can these atrocities just simply happen? And we were reminded that, They're happening now. They're happening this very moment. 
And if you remember what Pastor Rick has been doing, and we also had a representative of IGM come by and to share with us that currently, right now in the world, there are 40 million slaves still, still against their will. And we just turn off to that. And I was thinking, how can this be? How can we just let this go and not do anything? How can our consciences have been so seared that even stories like this, stories like what's been shared right before in this morning, doesn't really do anything to us? And we're just like, ah, that, that's too bad. And it reminds me of this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It says, our consciences have been seared. And then it talks about abstinence of food. So I was thinking, what, consciences are seared because of food? I don't know what that means. And then so it continues to talk about in Timothy that our consciences have been seared because expressly the Spirit is telling them, Later on, people are going to be devoting and lying to you, and you're going to follow the spirits and teachings of demons and people who don't know the truth. And if you have been with me for a while, we know that when you read something and you don't completely understand it, what do we do? We check context. We check the burger. So if this is the burger, we start checking the buns above and below and right before 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it talks about leadership. It talks about what's a good leader. What are the qualifications for an elder and a deacon? It's so important that we pray for our leaders. It's so important that we pray for the missionaries that we're supporting because it's not easy. And one mistake that happens can echo and ripple across communities and across generations. And we need God to oversee and watch over our leaders. And so let's continue to pray for our nominees. Let's continue to pray for our pastors and elders and deacons and all those that we're supporting pastor-wise and missionary-wise because it's so important that you have a good leader. And this Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph, said, you know what? These immigrants have come, and they're taking our jobs. They're taking our money. They're taking the things that belong to this great nation. And we talked last week. He started a campaign. It was called Hashtag Mega, Make Egypt Great Again. And we talked about all these things. And even though I joke, this is literally happening today and all across the world. But it has happened. In the past, even in ancient Egypt. And he would decree, finally, take these babies and throw them into the Nile. That's a crazy statement. Who's going to follow that? How can anybody follow that? But guess what? It's happening. If it, wasn't, if it weren't happening, then Moses' mother wouldn't have worried. But you could tell she was worried. And after three months, she couldn't do anything about it. So here we are. We are in this place in Exodus chapter 2. And a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. This is going to be further explained in chapter 6. But this is pretty intense and incredible in itself. But we're going to go to verse 2 for now. And she bore a son. 
He's a fine child. Well, I don't, I was thinking about this. What mother wouldn't look at their child and be like, this is a fine child? What mother would look at the child and be like, eh, let's try again. No, no mother would do that. But this is a mother's heart that we are seeing here. And she hit him. Even though it may cost her her life, even though it may cost her her livelihood, even though it may cost her everything that she had, she hit him. But three months, she couldn't hide him any longer. So she made this basket. And if you're doing this small group study, I hope that you went through basket is the same word that's used as ark. like Noah's ark, that Hebrew word, is the same word that's used here for basket. And she made a little ark to save, hopefully, Moses. And she, she made it so that it would, it would float in the water. And I was looking at some stats about the Nile River. The Nile River isn't just some kind of calm river that you see. It's not like a stream that you see here. It's like, oh, there's this little brook that we can just float this basket. This Nile River averages a discharge of 300 million cubic meters in a day. It's a roaring river. And in places you cannot navigate, you can't control what's going on there. Uh, many people say the Nile River is the longest river in the world. Some people dispute it by saying the Amazon River is. But in either case, it's one of the largest and longest rivers in the world. And secondly, even though the Nile isn't tame, uh, in ancient Egypt, they had crocodiles. And Nile crocodiles are still known by a nickname, and that nickname, if you know anything about Nile crocodiles, it's man-eater, because they literally ate people. People would just get swallowed up by these crocodiles. At one point, I think they found a crocodile about 20 feet long and weighing uh, the same like a small car. Uh, but they averaged from 5 to 15 feet, 500 to 1,200 pounds, and they swam all across the Nile in ancient Egypt. In fact, people in Egypt worshipped the Nile, and they even called it, they had a god name for it called Happy. But the Hebrews weren't happy about anything that was going on here. And you can see here that you can actually take a good thing, and you can make it evil. Some of the things that we are talking about even in the catechism today is that we can take anything and make it into an idol. We can take the good things that the Nile brings and start worshiping it and start throwing baby boys in it. So Moses' mom needed to adhere and follow this rule, but she's smart. So she says, you know what? I'm going to make a little ark. I'm going to make sure it's waterproof. And I'm not going to just throw it into the Nile. I'm going to put it by the reeds where the water isn't as intense. And what I'm going to also do I'm going to send my daughter out to follow where the basket might go and who might end up picking up. Maybe someone will have mercy. And you see the desperation of this mom who really wanted to protect her child, saying, I want my baby to live. And so who draws him out? Ironically, there's a lot of ironies here, but ironically, it's Pharaoh's own daughter. Pharaoh's own daughter comes out to bathe, and then she, she sees the basket, opens, is like, oh, this is a Hebrew child, but has sympathy, and takes him in. 
And then the daughter comes out and says, oh, do you need someone to feed that baby? Because I know someone. And another ironic thing happens where now his own mom gets to raise and care for Moses. There's so many things happening, but guess who, guess what happens after that as well? She goes, you know what, let me pay you my, pay you your wages. Uh, so this terrible decree by Pharaoh gets usurped by a woman who says, you know what, I'm not going to just chuck him into the Nile, but I'll obey to that, the letter of that law, but I'm going to put him by the reeds. Pharaoh's own daughter picks up the baby and says, this baby, he's pretty cute. I think I won't kill him. And picks up their own baby, finds someone to feed the baby and says, I'm going to pay you. Whose money is it? It's not Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter isn't working. Whose money is she paying him with? So she is paying Moses' mom out of Pharaoh's own pocket. So all these things are happening. And we see that even if we see this crazy evil that is going on, in desperation, when we called out to God, when Moses' mom called out to, for, to save his baby, God does something incredible here that we are able to witness. And Moses, thrown into death, is drawn out. This is one of the major themes that we'll see in Exodus. But he is drawn out of death, of certain death. There is no way he could live, but he is drawn out of death. Sin, we are taught, brings us to death. And sin could be like this mighty river once we're in it. You know, we could start blaming the world, but we could blame whoever we want. No matter how many fingers we point, the end result isn't that just because you point at someone, just because I point at my parents, you made me this way, mom. It's because of you I am an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just, just giving you an example. Because of you, I'm like this. Because of this person, uh, my situation is like this. And if you, even if we start pointing and blaming and even if we start complaining, our situation doesn't change. We're still in death. We're still in denial. But you see here, God's grace is incredible where he is drawn out. And we're going to continue to see this theme purvey through exodus and as he is drawn out now he's going to be taught now this is very special because he is raised by his mom until he's a good certain healthy age and back then a lot of kids died really early so a lot of scholars are speculating that he was with his mom his real mom for at least until maybe three or as late as five until he was healthy enough to be able to go out so he probably kind of knew he was Hebrew. I know a lot of us saw uh, the movie Prince of Egypt or Ten Commandments. Uh, if you're younger, Prince of Egypt. If you're older, Ten Commandments with Charles Heston. Yeah, I, 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 Prince of Egypt for me, I guess. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I saw a lot of Ten Commandments. My dad had this VHS tape, and Charles Heston was pretty cool. But in all these dra dramatizations of what's happening, it's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's really true, but, you know, who knows? It could be. But one thing we do know is that he was raised in this Egyptian school education system, and there are only very few people all throughout the Old Testament that got this privilege. 
handful, maybe less than a handful. All I can think about is Solomon, uh, Daniel, maybe his friends, and Nehemiah. But other than that, they weren't educated in this, in this way. But Moses got to do this. Moses got to learn and be educated in a very special way. But once we are drawn out, what happens to Moses? And I know we can make a movie out of it to see all the drama inside, but the Bible here skips that part probably because it's not the most integral part of the story. We're not here to focus on his adolescence and see all the drama that took place. We're here to focus now that he's drawn out as an adult what happens. Now that he's learned, now that he's educated, now that he's man enough and he's in this position of where he is, what happens And we see that his heart is starting to change. It says in verse 11, one day Moses had grown up and he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. One day, it's not like he didn't know, but one day something happened. And looked on their burdens, that word that's used is like he was able to feel. He was able to appreciate or relate these burdens and he was able to empathize and when he was able to do that he saw this Egyptian beating a Hebrew and it adds one of his people he becomes enraged so he looks this way looks that way it's like a Dostoevsky novel right he looks this way looks that way and then he kills the Egyptian you don't touch my people I'll kill you He probably said that before because after he killed them, what's the point, right? Anyway, he kills this Egyptian, and then you can see kind of a local flair where he hides him under sand, uh, probably because there was a lot of sand. I got to go to Egypt, and some of you know some of my stories in Egypt, but when we went to the Sahara, there was a lot of sand, and you could hide a lot of bodies. That's what I I wasn't thinking that. Uh, Only crazy people would think that. Um, but there was a lot of sand. Now that I read it, I can see, oh, yeah, you can hide a lot of bodies there. But um, anytime we needed to go to the bathroom, we would just tell our team, we're going to go above this dune, so don't go over this dune because we're going to the bathroom. I said, like, okay. And the, uh, people would take dunes. We're like, we're going to go over that sand hill, over that sand hill. So we had fun that way. And we rode camels in the lot. But... We can see that here, Moses had this plan. I'm going to save his, I'm going to save my people. I'm going to do what I can. But that's one thing, right? That's one thing that we can relate with. When we see certain things happening in the world, we're like, this is not right. We got to do something. We have to do something. And I'm saying right now, that is a good start. That's a good start. Now hear me out. It's a good start, but it's not the end. When we read this, it couldn't be the end. So it's a good start. He had this heart. I need to do something with all my learning and all the status that I have. What I have to recognize and what Moses starts to recognize is that he could not save his people. He was drawn out of death. But now he is yearning to be drawn into something. And when he is drawing 
into something. He wanted to be drawn in to the relation that he had with his people, with things that he knew that he belonged to, and he thought that I could save them. And in fact, it backfires. And he now sees like two Hebrews fighting, two of his own people fighting. He's like, why are you doing this? To the person clearly in the wrong. So he knew this person's wrong. Why are you doing this? And the person that he was saying this to answers back. He's like, who do you think you are? You think you're my judge? Who made you leader? You're going to kill me just like you killed that guy? And then he got scared. And he ran away. Surely the thing is known. And, and in fact, in the end that Amy read, it was known. Pharaoh was like, I need to get rid of this guy. Uh, I don't know why he didn't think, where did this guy come from? So he's like, oh, yeah, he looks like this Hebrew kid, but I guess... Sometimes you can look like another race. But we talked about this, right? We talked about how when you continue to uh, say this, this group of people is evil, you start believing the things, like they're physio- physiologically different, that they're emotionally different, that culturally they're completely different, so we can't relate. So we're up here and they're down here. And even when we saw in Genesis Joseph would eat and all the Egyptians would eat at a different table and his brothers would eat at a different table because the Egyptians thought it was detestable that they would eat with other people because they thought they were the highest. So this kind of thinking has been there. It has been there since as far as we can remember where our group of people is superior than another group of people. And I'm not saying this just to attack any group of people. Even if you're Korean, and the vast majority of us are, let's be real here. Koreans thought they were superior to many other groups of people. In fact, Koreans, uh, I think growing up, Koreans probably had this wide thought that they were the cleanest among the other Asians. I don't know why. That was a weird thing, but like, yeah, this group of people, they're not as clean, they're dirty. And it's like, mm, uh, that sounds wrong. Uh, but every group of people has that. We're better than this group. We're better than that group. But you see the danger in that kind of thinking. And so we see here that Moses tried, but he couldn't. Moses could not be the Savior. Moses needed to be shown something. But he needs to think, what has happened in the past? What is going on? What are the things that God is doing? And we saw last week, that God would take midwives. And back then, women didn't even have, women were considered cattle, women were considered things that you could trade. When the Pharaoh wanted to kill off the Hebrews, he didn't even consider the girls because it wasn't worth it. And he could just easily trade these girls. That's how low he thought of them. But guess who usurped him were midwives. Women that didn't even have babies, didn't have a family. To him, it's like the low of the low. But guess who God used to usurp that? And here we see that another woman takes that and saves the would-be savior of Israel. And she's the one that draws, that God uses to draw him out. So when we start thinking we're better than another group of people for whatever reason, I think the lesson that we can at least learn and be careful about is watch out. Because in history, we see that God uses those that are weak to be made strong. 
Paul recognizes this too, and he goes, my grace, God has told me, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect, is what God is saying to Paul. And we see that this is not something new that is given to Paul, but this is how God is working. So when we see leaders, when we see people like that, how do we see them? Do we see them as this grand, kind of amazing person? Like, oh my goodness, this person is worthy of my respect. You know, we should just give them everything. Or do we really see God as using weak vessels to do things that we could have never imagined? And I want to tell you that my testimony is exactly that. I never thought that I'd be here. In fact, I just wanted to make money, support my family. I thought that was a good enough deed. I saw how I grew up. I mean, I saw how I grew up. I saw how we lived. And I said, you know what? I don't want that kind of life. I don't want that kind of hardship for my family. I really want to support them. No more waking up and seeing and opening your mouth and there's like a roach in your mouth and you just have to scratch it off. I, I told some people that and they were like, are you serious? This is true? It's like, yeah, I mean, it was a baby roach. I get it at the time. But I, I remember waking up and looking in the mirror and then scraping one off of my tongue. Um, but we didn't grow up that well. Uh, and I thought, I can't believe a church would treat their pastors. And this is me as a young kid. How dare they, you know? So I'm going to grow up, make a lot of money, and do all, this, all these things for my parents. And if you know my testimony, um, God humbled me every step of the way. Even when I didn't make money and when I did make money, I was humbled every single step of the way. No matter what the circumstance was, he was leading me and he was drawing me into something. And I hope that we get this, that the Lord God, he draws you out to draw us into something. He doesn't just draw us out and say, you're free. You can do whatever you want. You know what? People that really think that, they have the hardest time living because I got it. I accepted Jesus Christ. I can live. I can be free. What, what do I do now? And then you see them revert back to their old self. Because what we have to get is God saves us from something to something. We are drawn out of death and drawn into something. And Moses got the beginning part of it. He got the beginning part. He was drawn into what? He's like, oh, I have this heart. He thought he was being drawn in and he thought his heart was it. But it wasn't it. It wasn't the end. It was the start. And Moses now, you see, is being drawn in to God's heart. We have to recognize that. We are not only saved from something, but we are saved to something. What have we been saved from? We, as a people, have been saved from sin and death. But what have we been saved from? Two is a question that a lot of people still cannot answer. Even if you went to church for 20 years, what have you been saved to? And if I asked you that, would you be able to answer? And Moses had just the beginning of this answer. You know, a lot of people 
when I talk with them, they would say, you know, I've had this problem for five years or 10 years, 15, 20 years, whatever the, whatever the length is. And now I know it's wrong. Now I know that I've been saved from it. And I just want to stop. And I just want this relationship to get better. I just want to quit. I want to do all these things and whatever the case is. And I would say this honestly to them. Sometimes, yes, God does that. Sometimes there is an immediate miracle that takes place. But did that always happen even in Jesus' case? Even when he went to Bethsaida, the thousands of people potentially? Didn't he save one person immediately? But what about the other thousand? Did he just skip them? No, of course not. There is salvation that comes through Jesus Christ that they must have heard of when he died and rose again. So I would challenge that person. What if, I mean, praise the Lord, for 10, 15, 20 years, you've been on this road to death, and through repentance, God has changed that. But what if it takes 10, 15 years to continue to get out of it? Isn't it better than 10, 15 years you've been in it, 10, 15 years you're still in it, 10, 15 years you're still in it, and all throughout eternity you're just getting deeper and deeper into the sin. Shouldn't we still praise God? At least he stopped it here. And now it's reversed. 10, 15 years, my friends, is nothing compared to eternity to reverse that. And God is doing that. And so God starts it in Moses, and he starts to have a heart of justice. In Proverbs, it talks about evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. What we have to understand here is there is a seeking that needs to take place. Just because we want justice doesn't mean we get justice. There's something that we must do if we really want to understand justice. And it says in Proverbs, we need to seek the Lord. It is a continuous verb. We need to continue seeking the Lord to understand justice completely. In Micah, Micah the prophet reminds his people this, I brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and he's setting this up. Why? Because in Micah chapter 6, he says, he has told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. There's some of us that are more reformed here, be like, whoa, 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 is he preaching the social gospel? And I gotta say this in response to that. I get it that the social gospel has taken this extreme view where if you don't have any social justice in, in, in what you're doing, there's something wrong, or everything is about social justice, that's what I really meant. Um, but that's not what it's talking about. But if we're talking about gospel and there is no social justice in our lives, then we have to really check, did we receive the gospel? Do we really have the gospel in us? Because he says it right here, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. All these three things are there and they are necessary, and God meant to say what he said. But don't you see, we have injustices that we are living through even now in this very moment, the reality that we're in. You know, it's easy, honestly, it's easy to get lost in another reality. It's easy to get lost in a false reality. It's, it's easy to get lost in fantasy. 
And I was talking to certain people, and I met this one man uh, in Manchester when I was there, and he said, I want to do this study. And it's about how movies have changed, because movies are one of the prime modes of entertainment for our culture, and now it's the world. Now if you show a movie, it's like, how did it do in South Korea? How did it do in China? How did it do in Malaysia? And we have all these um, you know, metrics of measuring that. But it's changed from the 90s and the 2000s. And now all top 10 movies, guess what? They're all of one genre. It's fantasy. It used to be like rom- romantic comedies. There was at least one was up there. And some people, if I start singing, I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Well, anyway, like if I start singing, you get it. Like, oh, I know that movie. I know that movie. Because back then, a long time ago, even romantic comedies would make it up to that top 10. But now it's changing. People want to get lost in fantasy. So what's number one? It's like all the Avengers movies and all the DC movies, all these fantasy movies. I mean, I'm not knocking on them. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. So when that came out, I had to see it at least four times and clap at everyone. I said, yes, thank you. Thank you for bringing So I, I'm not knocking on it. I am saying that we need to be aware of what's going on. But we can't get lost in those other alternate realities because there is one here that God has put us in that we are to do justice in, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with Him. And if we recognize that, then we will see that we have been drawn out of something and drawn in to something else. But we must start with this one thing. We must start by seeking God and asking God for us to have His heart. That is the beginning That is the beginning. Without that, all this other social justice reform, all these rights that you want, all these things, they start imploding on itself. And we are seeing that happen now. We've seen it happen in the past historically, but we're seeing that happen now where everybody wants this right and that right. And now they're imploding on everyone else's right. It was like, wait, but this is my right. But your right is actually stepping on my right. And everybody is just now becoming angry. All the even... um, even these very progressive groups can't agree with each other. And it's hard to see that. And now it's like, even if we go to a university or we want to talk, who do we invite? Because one person, one speaker, is definitely going to offend one group. And we've, become in this pla- we've come to this place where we don't know what the standard is. And that's why God is showing us the standard is me. Start with me. So we have been drawn out of sin and death so that we can be drawn in to his heart. And this is what we see when Jesus is spending time with his people. He is showing his disciples his heart over and over again. This is my heart. And, and John gets it. John gets it by saying, God is love. God is love. Not God has love or God shows love. God is love. If you want to know what love is, guess what? Got to know God. That's what John is saying. And it's true. But if we want to know that we've been saved too, we must seek the Lord to understand completely. What Jesus does isn't just that. We are seeing here that Moses, through all his learning, 
all his expertise, all the money, wealth, status that he could have attained could not save his people. And the false thing would have been to think, only if I had more money. At least he didn't say that. Only if I had better status. Only if I had a better job. You know what, Pastor Eugene? I would give if I get a better job. And I would respond, you don't give now. You're not going to give if you have a better job. Only if I had this. Only if my spouse didn't do this or nag me so much or, you know, push me down or disrespect me. So only if that, only if that means that it's always going to be on your condition, not God's. And when we start saying that, we're saying, I need to be God. I need to control, dictate. I need to be the metric And when that happens, how are we any different from Pharaoh? Don't you see? We, even as people today, have lived and are living through injustices. And we have to recognize that, oh my goodness, I have learning. A lot of us have learning. But what we are shown here is God saves us. And what he's going to start showing us is that he's going to be the one that's fighting. And he's going to win. So even in this chapter 2, the beginning portion, we see it's alluding to what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is the one that will save, that draw out, draw us in. But when he draws us in, he draws us into his company, his fellowship, his army. And he's the one fighting And he took the lead and he fought sin and death and he defeated it. And when we believe in him and his name, we are also saved. And now we can join him in his church. That's why Jesus says, man, I'm going to build this church, going to be on this rock, and even the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's the kind of position that we have been invited to. And that's something that we must understand. This is something that we're going to continue to learn about as we go through Exodus. But something that we will really be able to see even now as we read this. We have been saved from sin and death. And we have been, sa- we have been saved into God's heart. And I hope that you can hear that. That this is the Holy Spirit drawing you in. Asking knocking, and if you would open the door, he would come in. Let's pray.